So the flood forecast for us this year hasn't been nearly as bad as last year. But not too far south, our friends in Fargo are preparing for a potential top 10 flood. Today is World Parkinson's Day. We checked in with one of the strongest voices in that community. He is the national director of talk radio for Chorus Entertainment, also the host of the podcast When Life Gives You Parkinson's. His name is Larry Gifford, and he had some very important messages to share. Potholes and sinkholes, it's a problem we deal with every year. Doesn't make it any easier. And after a war over throw pillows, we wanted to know, what are the decorations that cause a rift in your home? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, April 11th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we welcome back to the building, Loren McNabb. Hi, Loren. How's it going? It's weird to be up and on the road this morning and such a different, like I had a winter coat on then I thought, do I even need this coat? Like it's just a whole different week. Yeah. I know last week we, we was like, do not even try to right. come into work, Loren, work from home because it was chaos. Yeah. And, and then now- today I step outside and it's kind of that, that fog. And I thought I could probably wear a different coat. I could probably wear different shoes. Like the car wasn't in the garage because there's no need to now. It's all nice and warm. Plus there's no room in our garage. Oh, really? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh how the tables have Turned. Uh, Do you have the uh, pogo stick uh, attachment for your car so that you can hop around the potholes in the city? Because yeah, there's no clear route from your house to here without uh, finding some roads with some nasty potholes. The highway's fine, but I and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I cannot get over Goulet. Uh, you know, as you're coming down, as it turns into Goulet and you're going around that little corner oh, after brutal, uh, it is, there's no option in that, you know, it's technically it's four lanes, but there's two you know sides you can park on. So it's, but there's no lane to which you can escape a pothole. There's like, no tried. safe passage. And there's no cars that I'm dodging. Like I'm all alone and I was like, oh, oh, I'll go over here. Oh, hey, I made a lot of noises. Hey, zoo. <laughs> You and feel, I swore. <laughs> you feel like you're Indiana Jones trying to mar- walk across the floor without falling through? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, the potholes are brutal, and we're going to get into this sinkhole situation more at 637. But got to ask Mackling because the Calgary Flames fell into a bit of a sinkhole, making life a little bit easier for the Winnipeg Jets. Well, the Jets did their job last night, and then uh, 6-2 win over San Jose, the Sharks We don't have to talk about the problems the Sharks have given the Jets all season long. It was the Jets' first win against one of the worst teams in the league in three tries. The Jets came out and really, I mean, (laughs) they started pretty shaky. 20 seconds in, San Jose scores. We'll play the sounds of the game for you in just a moment here. But uh, the Jets did their job, and then uh, out west... Nashville beats Calgary in a shootout. So the Calgary Flames are eliminated now from playoff contention. It leaves Nashville and the Jets battling for that last playoff spot. So any point gained by the Jets in the next two games, Jets play Minnesota tonight, any point gained by the Jets or lost by Nashville will mean the Jets will clinch that playoff spot. I said to Greg, we're done, right? Like we're in the playoffs now. He's like, no. I thought... (laughs) 
It's <laughs> never ending scenario. Like I watched the game and I, li- I listened to it first because I was out with my kids and then I watched it close to the end and then I didn't listen for any of the post game stuff. And so I just assumed it was all over, Brett, and we were going to carry on to a whiteout and, you know, those kinds of things. And Greg's like, yeah, basically this, this morning. The, the scenario was the constantly changing board. Just it's. Doing my head in. Well, and I had a bit of a brain melt this morning as well because I was trying to figure out, well, why is Calgary eliminated? Because mathematically, they could finish with the same number of points as the Jets. So then I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm not a big sports and guy. There's got to be a tiebreak situation here. I guess it goes by the number of Winnipeg has more victories. Than more Calgary. victories, yeah. The regulation or overtime wins, and Winnipeg has has far more uh, than Calgary. In fact, the Jets are in the top, you know, third of the league when it comes to wins. Like the first place team in the Central right now, Colorado, has 49 wins. Well, the Jets have 45. Dallas has 45 wins. Minnesota has 46 wins. Uh, it's the overtime losses that those other teams have gained some loser points that the Jets have not. At the beginning of the year, that was a good thing because the Jets weren't going to overtime, and when they did, they were winning. Yeah. But these other teams over the course of the year, you know, games where they're down 3-2 to two late in a game would tie things up and then lose in overtime, so they'd get those loser points. The Jets weren't doing that, and that's really the difference between them, you know, battling for first place and battling for eighth. So See, this is where I, when the kids say, why do I need to learn this in school? This is why. You're going to get to a point in your life where you can't make sense of NHL standings, and you're going to need to really understand your math. That's right, because it's two <laughs> points for a victory, right? One point for overtime loss. Uh, that's correct. Okay, so when I read, look at the standings, for example, Winnipeg, 45 wins, 32 losses, and then the overtime column of three, is that three overtime losses? That's correct. Okay, all right. <laughs> so Calgary has 17 of those, Winnipeg has three, which is why they have almost the same number of points. And Nashville it. is 90 points, so they're three back of the Jets. So if Nashville wins out and the Jets lose out Nashville in regulation. In. Uh, that's right. Because the Jets, uh, the Jets can can uh, lose both their remaining games in overtime, or one, and they're in. I don't think they want to go. I don't think they want to go down that road. I think they would really like to go into Minnesota tonight, win that game, and not only clinch that playoff spot cleanly, yeah. but also declaratively and say, "Look, you don't want to play us." in the first round of the playoffs because well, Minnesota has been one of the best teams down the stretch. Well, we're going to have the keys to the game with Cameron Poitras at 8-11, but right now, producer Jeff Forte, too many goals to replay in 90 seconds. Here are your quick sounds of the game. We'll come to center ice. Jets are flying from our broadcast right. Puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. It's held by Morrissey. D to D on the near side now for Ehlers. Scoots down the side of the slot. Didn't shoot. Curls high slot now. Back out in front and a shot. They score. Pierre-Luc Dubois. What a great three-way passing play. Ehlers, Shifley, Dubois, Peters. And we're tied at one. Draw back toward the line. Sandberg far side for Schmidt. Rister through traffic. Stopped by Reimer. Rebound back out in front. They score. Adam Lowry fought off Jacob McDonald to the side of the net, poked it in, and it's 2-1 Winnipeg. Back toward the line, Morrissey walking right in, slap shot, score! An absolute rocket for Josh Morrissey, and Winnipeg regains their three-goal lead. It's 5-2 for the Jets. 
as Morrissey gets into the act. What a pick on the power play. Out in front, Shifley a shot, he scores! Right when we come back, the Winnipeg Jets six seconds into a power play, expand their lead to four, six to two, Winnipeg. Shifley, another big goal, his 41st of the year and counting. The playoff quest continues. It will tomorrow night in St. Paul, Minnesota. Winnipeg requires one point to punch their ticket to the postseason. Some areas around Fargo could see near record flooding this spring. So the flood forecast in that city, it was just upgraded yesterday and officials there said Fargo is expecting the Red River to crest at 38 feet. So that would make it a top 10 flooding event and a top 10 event means it's anything above 35 feet. So they've been there before. 2019 was the last time, 2011. There's been several years where they've hit that, but I think this forecast is constantly changing. So to prepare, they're calling for some 20,000 sandbags to be filled in Fargo. And then in the area known as Cass County, which I think is basically just West Fargo, the sandbagging need has doubled. Last week, they were looking for 100,000 sandbags to be filled. Now they need 200,000 to be filled. Chad Peterson is the Cass County Commissioner and says they expect to see the river to start to rise either tomorrow or into Thursday. Know that we are good at fighting floods. Know that this local government is here to support you as you see fit. It's incredibly important that you know that, that you are not worried, that you are not concerned. Know that we are, as the mayor said, good at fighting floods. We've invested local dollars, local engineering time in spades. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been invested since my young years, which were not that long ago, but some time ago. This used to be a big deal for us. Sandbags in every backyard up and, up and down North Fargo, sandbags throughout the rural areas. It was impactful. Now it's still impactful, but less so. So Lake Manitoba, they know how to do this. They know how to prepare. But Peterson said residents in his community still struggle with one simple thing. North Dakotans and Minnesotans, as I said in our prior press conference, are terrible at asking for help. If you're new to the area, you've learned that. Your neighbors don't ask you for help. They'd rather suffer through heart attack snow or a bad evening, a bad day then ask their neighbors for help. Now is not the time to be a stern, firm-hearted North Dakota Minnesotan. If you need help, you need to ask. We've seen that here in Manitoba over the years, at neighbors helping neighbors. And I think, I think there's something to that, that idea of trying to get through things on their own. But over the next several weeks, we will be watching very closely what's going on in North Dakota because uh, we don't need to tell you, you know this, all the water... That ends up in the Red River in North Dakota eventually ends up flowing through the city of Winnipeg or around the city via the floodway. So, uh, you know, the river isn't as wide down in those part in that part of the Red River Valley. It's more like the Assiniboine River down there than it is, you know, what we see through downtown Winnipeg. So the, the, the flooding, you know, comes a little bit quicker. And, and so we'll, we'll get some details on that a little bit later this morning, Loren. Yeah, that voice you just heard in those clips, Chad Peterson's going to join us just after the news at 8.30. Brett, they just have so much more snow there than we got. It's weird how they're only a couple hours south, three hours south, and the picture is, is vastly different. And so the, I think the expectation is that most, for the most part, the infrastructure can handle it. But even just doubling that need for sandbags shows you there's several properties that might go underwater. We're still waiting to hear when the city might get out and repair. 
A large sinkhole just off Main Street. Yeah, it's more than a rift. It's more than a pothole. It's a sinkhole on Burn Avenue. First spotted by a Winnipeg couple Sunday. Matthew Ricard says he believes the pavement started to heave after repair work was done under the road last fall. City of Winnipeg, we're fixing up some water and waste this uh, fall, and they patched it up like they do everywhere else, and it just started sinking. So my wife gave a phone call, and they came and put a cone, and well, next thing you knew, the cone was disappearing, and uh, some uh, gal ran it over. So. so they called 311, the cone was put there, and then he watched this woman just drive over. Probably couldn't see it from the height, got caught under her car, so he had to help her get the cone out of her car. And so that's when he decided he had to do something else to better warn drivers, because that cone wasn't enough. Well, I just I set up the cone a little bit better, and I put some sandbags on it, just that I happened to have holding up my kids' uh, basketball hoops, so... I put the cone, uh, the sandbags on the cone so the cone wouldn't fall over, and then I had some danger tape in my uh, garage, so I just tied it to my fence and hooked it around the uh, the cone and made it a little little bit safer for everybody around. As an aside, I need danger tape. What is that? Are we talking just like the warning stuff? Like, wait, maybe caution tape? Yeah. The yellow stuff? Just, is that a thing? I'm not sure, I'm not sure why you keep that. Ha- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the tape that he had was red and white. Yeah. Oh, red and white. Just the color, just a I warning. I don't even know what that would be then. It's a warning color. So he did that because he wanted to make sure people weren't going to go over that hole. And so it was several hours after he did that, that the city eventually came by to put up signs and a barricade of sorts around the hole. But as Brett said, we don't know when a rep- repair crew might get out to Barron Avenue. And the problem is rapidly growing. It's probably uh, eight foot by eight foot square that's fully sunk in now, so... I, I, I wouldn't put any of my vehicles down the back lane. You can go to cjob.com to see pictures of that sinkhole. And, and the, the, it's like the whole square of pavement is heaving. And then the at, actual hole itself is maybe only a couple feet by a couple feet, but it's spreading, right? And so you wouldn't want to go on that whole section that you referenced there. I, what, what do you think about the way the city dealt with it? Because some guy came by fairly quickly, or girl, and put up a cone. And so that's one thing. I, I suppose they didn't have all the things on their truck to do better. But if this guy has danger tape in his garage, I'd like to think a city truck good had a bit more tape or at least something else to alert people to it. I get they can't get to every hole as quickly as possible to repair it, but the warning system could have been better. Well, I know that on Lajemodier for probably all of last summer, uh, right in front of uh, Buron Lumber there, there was uh, a, a what I would call a very large pothole. I think it had to do with the drain there, but th- that's what the city did. They put one of those really mm-hmm. tall orange uh, pylons, not like the not the cone shaped one, but the the you know the warning uh, stake sort of thing, really tall, right, three four feet, and it just sat in there for months and months and months before they finally fixed it. That's one thing, and when it's really tight to the curb, I guess you can get away with that. But in the middle of the street. That might be a little bit difficult, but yeah, you'd like to think that they're uh, going out to these things and not just opening up the back of the truck. I wonder what I have to deal with <laughs> this situation with. Um, oh, there's a pylon. I'll just throw that, you know, like hopefully there's some sort of system there and I'm sure there is. But uh, the point being that a sinkhole is a little bit different than a pothole. And if you're going this morning southbound on Archibald, and taking the yield onto westbound Provence, you have the exact opposite. I think we spoke uh, to the folks in Pilot Mound a couple of weeks ago. We got a Pilot Mound growing. 
it's actually the exact opposite of a sinkhole. It's like a mini little like that hill growing heaved, 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 heaved. It's 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 managing to say still sort of you can you know you can manage it. It's like a speed bump. Oh, it's a gigantic speed bump. Is that right in the yield? It's just as you come out of the yield. Oh no. Yeah, so of course you're man, you're doing two or three different things. You're trying to maintain speed. You're watching people coming from northbound Archibald that are turning on to Provence, and then all of a sudden you've got this this really big speed bump, probably forty feet from where you start accelerating, and it's it's a, it's a mess. I know oh. we go through this every spring, but sure. I, I, and I and I almost I sighed as I drove in this morning with my road that was littered with potholes and. Uh, you know, we're going to have to complain about that again. But it, I, there are some roads where it's so bad that it's not just filling in a pothole. It's like the whole road feels like it has to be redone. And, you know, that's not going to happen on wide stretches of kilometers in this city. So I don't know. I, It's a mess. That happened right in my neck of the woods last year at Roslyn and Nassau. Yes. First, so what they've had to do first was because essentially that entire intersection was cratered. Uh, so they had to first fill in all the potholes. And it, there were so many. It took them days and then once that was done, then they, they eventually reconstructed that whole stretch of Roslyn. So the pothole was the patch. And even the patchwork took a while before they could then come back and sort of tear it all up and, and redo it. Uh, so that's, it's just like when, when one concentrated area has so many potholes, that's just one tiny spot in the city. And how many potholes are there? And then we've got the worst roads campaign. I, do you suspect Goulet will be... I'm going to go the there list. and vote for it right now. So this is your last day to vote for your, the, what you think is the worst road in Winnipeg or Manitoba. So let us know, 780-6868, where you'd like to see some, at least some quick fixes with some patches. I think they do tens of thousands of potholes in the spring alone, let alone all year. So oh, yeah. the, the number is astronomical. Yeah, but well, I'm looking at a picture here. You got a picture uh, sent to you on the text groove here, Loren, uh, with the picture of the danger tape with the pylon, with the sandbags on either side of the pylon. And yeah, it's one thing to approach and to deal with a pothole, but you can tell that there's nothing. There's no base underneath this section of road. Not good. Scary stuff. So you can read more about this at cjob.com. And again, love to hear from you on what you're seeing out there in terms of bad roads, bad spots, trouble spots. And uh, I just very wanted to quickly ask how wet... Was Goulet this morning, Laren? Like, are there potholes hiding underneath the water? No, it was, I mean, there's a bit of, there's a, there's puddles for sure, but it wasn't covered. There was more just going on the underpass at La Jamodier. Like, there's some streets that have water right across. You can't see. That's mm. where it becomes frustrating in the spring, right? When you don't know what you're driving through and you make that mistake of going too fast and then you hammer a pothole that's hidden under the water. But Goulet wasn't too bad. No. For, the, are, for the wet. One of our listeners saying that those tall orange pylons are called Candlesticks. That's what they oh. call them in the construction industry. Oh, that's neat. So there you go. Well, thank you for sharing that trivia bit. I'm ready for trivia night. Decorations that cause a rift. Mackling, you found a great story a couple of days ago, and uh, it just made me laugh because all I could think was, ah, throw pillows. What My- happened? So we got a married couple hosting another married couple. The uh, couple uh, is hosting their in-laws, their sister and their brother-in-law. And so they've welcomed them into their home for an extended period of time. They have a guest room that is normally, you know, set up a certain way. They make the bed with no less than seven decorative cushions. (laughs) 
And uh, we only have five on my bed, not that I'm counting. And uh, so the problem basically is this. The host couple, the, the, the wife, is unimpressed with the fact that the decorative cushions have permanently been removed from the bed. Not like just temporarily when you're sleeping in it, but even when they make the bed the next morning, the decorative cushions are staying off in the corner, <laughs> and it's causing a major rift between uh, these uh, couples who are rela- related uh, both by blood and by marriage. <laughs> So, yes, they've been deemed rude guests. Rude guests. So 204-780-6868, is there a decoration in your home that causes a rift, whether it's with someone you share that home with or perhaps a guest situation? Uh, 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some tickets for Chris DeBerg. And Loren, why don't we start with you? Because I... My understanding that you might be going through something like this right now? Yes, so I bought this plant... Probably, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. And I have it in the living room in a kind of corner spot near the wall and the piano. And nobody ever walks that way. Like, it just kind of completes the room, makes it, fills in that little space in the corner. But I like it to be pulled out to sort of round out the room. And once a day, at least, I'll come out and that plant has been shoved right up against the wall in the corner because it drives my husband's nuts. Like, why is it there? Nobody can walk there. It's in the way. And I'm like, nobody ever walks that way. We never, we're not going around that way to get to the TV. It's never, I've never seen anyone do it. So then I pull it out, put it back where I want it, and then I'll come home the next day and he's pushed it back up <laughs> against the wall. And we, I, we have flat out, I've said, we're, we're having like a stalemate on this plant. He's like, I don't get it. Like, it's a full on thing for us. We're not fighting. Did you agree it. to buy it together no, in the I first place? I put it there. And it's, it's also it was a rebel move on your. No, it's not a rebel. It's just a plant, for goodness sakes. It's not a rebel Tall, move. It looks live, nice. Plastic. It looks nice. It's not meant to be shoved up. It's, it it's a real plant. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna kill it. Now. So kind of, oh, I know, he's probably going to exactly. It's like when my I, my in laws planted a rhubarb plant in my yard once, and I hate rhubarb. rhubarb. And I spent took me like three years to try and kill it. Vile weed. Really? Oh, those things do not go away. Oh no. Oh, interesting. They're a weed. They are. Yeah. Like they're all over the city. You find rhubarb plants everywhere. Like in the middle of, in the like middle of like uh, uh, you know between two streets, there'll be rhubarb growing. Whatever rhubarb is, yeah. vegetable or food, it's. Stupid. Rhubarb pie. <laughs> nope. I don't know that I've ever had rhubarb pie, so I will reserve judgment. Poitras, what about you? Uh, you know, this is this is sort of a really weird situation because I don't think that most people have this, but like it's it's actually crazy that my wife and I have the exact same taste in things. So we don't argue about decorations because she she like loves designing and that sort of thing, and she'll come to me and she'll say like, "Oh, do you like this?" And I'll say, "Of course, I like that." We like I'm, I'm it's it's not just me. I could easily this could be like a battle. Just I don't want to fight. There's there's several of those where I just go like put my hands up and go, "I'm not getting into this," and I'll just I'll just take the loss and I'll hold off. I'll fight a battle the next day. But this one, like honestly, we 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 totally are. 100% in on design and clutter and all that sort of thing. Just wait. Just you wait. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Because uh, I, I had so many squabbles and, and in battles that I would always lose, especially with the stupid throw pillows. Forte, what about you? Hey, I like throw pillows. I got them on my bed. I got them on my couch. Yeah, throw them in, in, in the garbage. Do no. you use them? 
because Throw them off your balcony. No, they're, 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 well, okay. The ones on my couch, yes. I use them like when I'm having a nap or I'll use that as a actual pillow. But the ones on my bed, no. Like, I throw them in the closet at night. But they make the bed look nice. They do, but then no, it's just, it's one of those for weird whom? things where it's just for you. Yes. For me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's where it's I live. It's all that matters. Exactly. You, you leave a light on in a room that nobody ever goes into as well, I bet, to set the mood for nobody that's there. Maybe. Uh-huh. That's a, <laughs> I know you people. But I, I live alone, so I, I don't have riffs with anyone. But if I were to live with somebody, probably a riff I would have is too many knickknacks, you know, around the house. Makes it look cluttered. I don't like that. Like, I like to have a nice, clean, sleek-looking place. Mm-hmm. Or e- even outdoors when people have a bunch of, I don't know, um, like gnomes or just <laughs> garden things all around. It just it, it makes the house look a little too tacky. I'm Mac- just saying. Macklin put his, his hands up. Yeah, so we're I'm- dropping the gloves now for <laughs> yeah, a chair. Are. Yep. are you a garden gnome person? I don't have a garden gnome, but uh, j- that's our big thing. Like, Jackie and I are like you, Cam, like yeah. it, like with the interior design, we, did, we agree on just about everything. But when it comes to the backyard, Jackie just rolls her eyes when I find something kitschy. Like I've got these little uh, tur- this little turtle and this little frog that guard one of the gardens, and <laughs> I've got a Winnipeg Jet sign on the side of the gazebo that that I had to sneak into the house and install when she wasn't home because if she had seen it in the package, she would have just said that is not going up no in our boy, backyard. No. Well, I can't wait, Brett. Thanks to one of our listeners, mm-hmm. I cannot wait to put that Titanic bell up in our backyard this summer. She has no idea that I have it, and I can't <laughs> wait to put it up. That's right. One of our listeners brought in this magnificent bell. Um, it weighs like, what, 20 pounds? Probably? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to bring in some heavy-duty hardware to mount this thing on my fence, but I don't care. It's happening. Does Jackie not listen? Like. Like it's, oh, yeah, she'll know by the time she's yeah. at work. You're at work. This on yeah, the air. She's walking right now, but somebody at work is going to tell her, yeah. uh, are you going to let Greg put up that bell in the backyard? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's no no worries there. I think Talk. I was listening Skyler. to Greg, by the way, if memory serves. I have a terrible memory, so apologies if I got that wrong. But thanks for that bell. Awesome gift. And uh, Skylar, what about you? My roommates uh, are both college age, as am I, but I've been working for a few years. Um, but they've, they've embraced the college lifestyle somewhat. And they are certainly sleeping and not listening right now. So I'm going to put them on blast quickly. (laughs) I have a nice table. It's round. It's like real wood. And it was fairly expensive. And I have this like terranium plant I like to put on there just for something. Because looking at a bare table is kind of boring. But I want the placemats under them stacked neatly so I don't scratch my expensive table. And every day I come there, it's there's like six water glass. I'm, I'm going to go home at noon. I'll take a picture and send it to you guys. There's going to be six water glasses on there. The terrarium is going to be off the, the placemats. The placemats are not even going to be folded nicely in the cupboard. They're going to be like haphazardly. And then they're all crinkled. And I could I could do like a three hour radio special like it's and you've told insane. them this bugs you oh but yeah we're going on like they're you know school's almost up and they're gonna go back to Brandon for the summer so uh, it's almost a wrap here but uh, I guarantee my roommate's younger brother who's uh, moving in for the summer is going to be just eons. You have to ask it. the question, Skylar. Do you respect wood? <laughs> and, and and then and then you know you hand out some coasters. <laughs> At the very least, yeah. use Where's the coasters. I don't, even, I don't even care about the coasters. Like, let's just put the placemats under the plates, boys, and keep it under the terrarium. <laughs> 
for the rest of the t- Terranium. I've never heard anyone is use this term. Is it a geranium It's a terranium, isn't it? That's a word. Yes, it's terranium. But people use that once in their life, no and most don't even know is. what that is. And yeah. here's Skylar like has a like a full-on. It's like a glass case with a succulent, and it looks nice, guys. <laughs> it's, succulent? It's an aquarium for plants. Like, yeah. is that not, it's, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a succulent once. I'm going to send you guys a picture of you when I get home. (laughs) I say this every winter, every, or as I like to call it, the off season for golf, uh, that I'm going to at least practice or play some virtual golf. And I've actually managed to do that. I've played every couple of weeks on average, at least it's been a lot of fun, but, uh, can't wait to actually get back outside, Loren. Okay, so we'll have to find out if you are on the list of people. I know you have a busy day, so it might not be today, but uh, there are courses prepping for the season and Shooters. It's always one of the first out of the gate. Shooters Family Golf and Restaurant out on North Main is opening its driving range this morning. Amy Sarasani is the food services manager at Shooters. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're good. How are you would be the better question, because this must be a big day for you guys. Were you already getting a lot of phone calls asking that all-important question? It's a huge day. Finally, spring is here. We're going to open the driving range. The phone was ringing off the hook yesterday. People are eager to be outside with 14, 15, 16 degrees the next couple days. Why wouldn't you? No kidding. So April 11th today, you know, for as rough a winter or at least the last stretch has been, how does this compare to your usual opening date? So, I mean, we always try to open the driving range the last week of March, first week of April. So really, it doesn't feel that far behind. But when you look back to 2021, we actually opened the golf course itself on March 17th. So that makes it feel like we're almost like a month behind. And when did you, do you remember when you opened the driving range that year? You know what? I don't remember, but I do know that year we got a huge snowstorm in like April. Yeah. (laughs) So let's hope that doesn't come our way now. Um, But I mean, it's mother nature, right? So you give and you take, and we just hope now the snow is going to go and it's going to stay gone. And we can have a fantastic season. So the driving range opens at 10. How long before... You know, like golf, golf is golfed. (laughs) That's the big question, hey? Um, Depending on the weather, we're hoping for a week and a half, two weeks. But it really depends on how the snow melts and then if we get some wind to help dry things up. You know, as much as we'd love to let people out there now or sooner than later, we also don't want to destroy the grounds for the rest of the season. So it's a tough always a tough call for the grounds crew on that one so from what i understand you know during covid and the pandemic there was a the the demand for golf jump because people were so anxious to get out and do something and it was one of those things that you could get out and do with some restrictions and we're now fully back to normal quote unquote amy and i'm just curious what you're seeing from the golfing community like how's business overall as a family-run golf business uh i mean covid for golf was great it got a lot of people back into the game or a lot of people starting out for the first time being that family golf center you know we get the guys who are seasoned pros and the people who have never swung a golf club so it's a lot of fun to see people out and just enjoying what winnipeg summer has to offer um this is our 30th season in business which is also really exciting so we've got some big plans and hopefully you know with the boom from the last couple of years of COVID, it just keeps going on the up and up. 
Amy, I have a concern. I was driving uh, northbound on Main Street the other day, and I took a glance over at your at your mini golf course. What happened to uh, <coughs> Bob Asenza? Where's, where's the big <laughs> well, goalie? Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Jets don't like that the Jets players were there. <laughs> um, no, they are just in the shop for the winter time. They will be put back up this spring, refurbished, ready to go. Uh, unfortunately, the ground is just obviously still frozen, and we can't get them standing yet. All right, so the but goalie's back. coming back. <laughs> goalie Bob's coming back. Yeah, they'll be back. All they'll right. For those that don't know what Greg is talking about, what is this goalie? It's about it, what? How tall would it be, Amy? Like eight, nine, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah, eight, I, eight feet tall. Him, yeah, the goalie himself is probably about eight, nine feet tall, and then we do have like a player figure. He's about 12 and a half, 13 feet tall. And they stand on our miniature golf. And as you drive by on North Main, people always see them. And they're just um, like hockey statues. Our boss is obviously a big Winnipeg Jets bus. So got to have hockey on the golf course. So, Amy, with the driving range open, did you have to clear that snow or did it just melt away on its own? Uh, yeah, so spring melts, you know, the sun is warm, so that helps. But the boys were out yesterday and on Easter Sunday clearing all the artificial turf mats, so that'll be what's open today. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's dried up quite well considering, you know, last Wednesday we had a snowstorm. What time is it so open? We'll see. 10 a.m. 10 a.m., Shooters Family Golf and Restaurant out on North Main. Amy Sarasani, Food Services Manager at Shooters. Thank you very much for giving us a heads up on this. A lot of people are going to be excited to head out your way today. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys so much. We always appreciate the support. Wow, I can't speak this morning. And hopefully we'll see you out there this week. All right, Shooters Driving Range opens this morning at 10 o'clock. Sure sign of spring. Is there a golf smell? You know, like... Smells like golf weather. Like, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I, I would. I would acquaint that more to like early morning golf. I'm not, and which I'm typically not. But if the odd time I get out, say before nine, even it, it does smell different. It smells more fresh mm. on a nice summer morning. Um, but as far as the the smell, I guess it's the fresh cut grass. Yeah. That's where I would have gone. Yeah, mm. love that smell. Can't wait to get into the yard. Ugh, I can't wait until someone else cleans the dog. You know, oh, that's fine. You have way. you have kids. <laughs> you have kids. You put a twenty on the table and just get it done. Why do you have to bribe yeah, them? Why do I have to? Why am I paying them? I thought you. I thought, I thought you said you wanted you had, to get it done. They, they were out there yesterday. They've been out, they've been out there almost every like, day for the last week because there's just a lot. Like every every day that the snow melts a little more, it reveals a new surprise. Layer. And then they come home from <laughs> oh, school and, I, and, and I'm like, get back out there. You know, it's like an archaeological dig. <laughs> just layers. Uh, oh, there's there's January. Oh, and there's and there's and there's the, December. The thing is, I thought we had kept up with it. Throughout the no, year. you didn't. He is you, an impressive animal for yeah. what he can produce. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Worst time of the year for Ugh. dog owners. <laughs> Decorations that cause a rift. I once had an area rug in a past relationship like 10 years ago. She liked the area rug. I didn't. It was partly for practical reasons because we had a cat who decided to roll around on it a lot. And the vacuum that we had wasn't powerful enough to 
remove the cat hair that would get entangled into this rug. So I had to sit on the rug with the cat brush called the Furminator, which was an excellent brush. They are fantastic. But I had to ferminate the rug. It would take me over an hour just sitting there like a doofus on the floor. Brushing the rug. Did you drug up first for your allergies? Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I would have had masks back then. Oh, good point. Yeah. But anyway, I I lost that battle. The rug stayed. I just had to suffer through it. It's hard, though, because there are just things that you buy for your house that look nice, but then don't necessarily serve a purpose or they make your job harder. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Form over function. I mean, and that's why the throw pillow frustrates people. It looks nice, but you're removing them, putting them on. There's that whole Along Came Polly scene, right? Isn't For it sure. that movie, right? Yeah. He eventually stabs all the throw pillows. And then and then the other question is, do you do the karate chop to dent them on top, or do you like them fluffy and, and square? I like them in the garbage. 204 780 Decorations that cause a rift for a chance to win Krista Berg tickets. It means Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by cooperators investing in your future together. As genuinely spring-like temperatures arrive on our doorstep, it becomes a bit easier to start thinking about the beginning of the football season. Winnipeg Blue Bombers' main training camp gets underway May 15th. That's just a month from this Saturday. You know, Brett, the, the football in our province continues to grow in popularity on several fronts from girls football to flag football the game is evolving to attract athletes who either play football as one of several sports that they play or maybe their primary or or passion sport and the winnipeg football club is doing its best to help create opportunities for young people to discover the game of football loren so we say good morning to wade miller president and ceo of the winnipeg football club good morning wade Good morning, guys. So we know we have some camps coming up that we want to get to, but before we go into those, just talk about what you're seeing in terms of the growth of the game in the province, because I think Greg is right. You just Small towns have more clubs now. A lot of kids right across the province are getting into football. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, massive, the growth. And coming out of the pandemic, obviously, was a little difficult. And last year, uh, minor youth tackle football doubled in numbers. So kids playing tackle football doubled. The registration's open now, uh, you know, and, and, and goes to the first week of May uh, for the fall season, which, you know, runs middle of August, uh, you know, to the end of October. So you still get your cottage time in and then you, you know, start in August, the practices at night. And uh, it's a great way for kids from ages eight to 14 to get into the game. And what makes football, tackle football especially, so unique is there's a position on the field for every child. Based on size, uh, you, you could be, you know, on the smaller size to the bigger size, and there's a position for you on the field. It's a very inclusive sport, which is different than most sports, right? Um, so th- that's one of the popularities and reasons why. And then, uh, as you guys mentioned, flag football is booming, both winter flag, um, which the playoffs and championships are uh, winding up right now, and then the spring league. So, um, you know, tons of ways for both boys and girls to get involved in uh, football. Yeah, and you mentioned boys and girls. One of my boys plays high school football, Wade, and I'm not sure there was a team. I know his team had three girls on it this past year, and I don't think they played against another team all season that didn't have a girl playing high school football. That's a big change from when you and I played uh, back in the back in the 80s in the minor football in Winnipeg. Yeah, I was going to say 90s, but you're right. It was the 80s, so that's uh, challenging. Sorry, pal. For me. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely, yeah, completely different. Uh, you know, and the CFL's got a women in football program where, you know, we'll have another um, amateur coach from a college out at uh, CFL training camp this year at Blue Bomber training camp. And it's just great to see, um, you know, and, the, you know, the football club's uh, committed to growing the game in the province as well. And we mentioned there are a couple of different programs coming up for kids. Can you tell us about the Blue Bombers Futures Kickoff Program first? Yeah, sure. In May, uh, you know, and all these camps are free as well. So in May, the Blue Bomber Futures Camp is uh, from ages four to eight. Uh, you can go to bluebombers.com under the community page to register. And then there's also a Junior Bomber Skills Camp, which is from eight to 12 year olds. So last year we had over 500 kids in each one of those camps for the two days. Um, and then at the end of April, we're also our uh, first annual blue and gold showcase game where we actually have a 240 high school players that were selected by the high school coaches coming to eight practices and then a game um, at the stadium in the spring. So just more opportunities for kids to play football. That's what we're looking to do. And great partners like Bell MTS make it possible to help us with that. You made a great point just a few minutes ago, Wade, about football being that team sport where any kid can go out, you know, any shape or size. You don't have to be necessarily the quickest or the fastest or the tallest or the strongest. There's there's a position for you. And I'm curious what you then hear from kids who might be trying it for the first time, who maybe never had thought football was in their future and now are coming back year over year. What's the feedback just been from those kids and their families? Well, first, I think you described my football career of all those things I didn't have. So I, yeah, the height, the speed, all those things, right? So, uh, but no, it's uh, the kids just love it. And so do the parents because it's a different culture of football. Um, you know, you see uh, youth sports and, uh, you know, my son has gone through them all. And it's just a different culture around a football field uh, from, you know, the team environment. And, you know, no play successful unless all 12 players or every player on the field does their job in that play. And that's what makes the sport so different. Uh, it is truly a team sport. And, you know, sure, there's some superstars, but everybody needs to do their job on the field. And, the uh, you know, everything it teaches uh, young adults and young young athletes is, is something they're going to take with, uh, with them for their entire life. How special is this? Uh, Wade, you mentioned superstars. And I can remember Bobby Dice uh, playing for the St. Fertel Mustangs back in the day. You know, he was on the he was on the, uh, the under 18 team when I was in Bantam and we would always try and find a way to watch the Mustangs play. I w- played for the rods and, and dice was just one of those players that, you know, they say he's worth the price of admission. He was, and then now to see him getting his first crack as a head coach in the Canadian football league, that's, that's really a celebration in my mind of Winnipeg minor football over the years. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, Bobby's worked hard for that opportunity and, and, you know, and glad to see him there. And, you know, I was happy to call him that day and to wish him congratulations to let him know the Bombers were going to beat them thoroughly when we played him. So, you know, he, he suggested that was the only phone call he's got like that, that day, which, which is great, but uh, no, Bobby's a great guy. And uh, yeah, to see that opportunity he's getting is, is something well-deserved that he earned. All right, Wade. Well, we thank you for this. Thanks for the work you're doing to to bring the game to younger folks and and to make it accessible because uh, that's a challenge as well for a lot of people. So uh, thanks for this and thanks for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon.
Wade Miller is president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club, joining us live once again to talk about the Blue Bombers Futures kickoff program and the Junior Blue Bombers Skills Camp. Just got a text message here from Tracy at 204-780-6868. Our son joined in a number of the Winnipeg Blue Bomber football camps held over the winter. Can't speak highly enough of them. They were very well run. The kids were all engaged. Tons of coaches there to help out. And they got to try positions that their teams may not have put them in. It was incredible. Well done, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And we were talking about golf season getting started sort of underway. This this Today at Shooters, they're opening their driving range. Golfers are getting antsy. I wonder what it's like for the players, for the organization, because, you know, it's a game, but this isn't just their fun thing that they do on the side. This is their life. It's their job. And I wonder if they're getting antsy to get back out. Sure, they're ramping up their off-season program. I mean, the players work hard all Mm -hmm. off-season, but now, you know, you're stepping it up a little bit for sure because you don't go like in the old days, you went to training camp to get into shape. Yeah. Now, if you, you know, you can get cut in the first three or four days. If you're a rookie, you, you got to come in ready. here. You got to show up ready, show your stuff, and and uh, hopefully uh, you can uh, get into that second round of of, of cuts. We got a heads up, Loren, from one of our listeners about something that's happening this morning that was kind of off our radar. Yeah, because it's it comes in stages, and so that is camping registration. And so on April 3rd is when we had yurts booking. Last Wednesday, it was campsite reservations for Western and Northern regional parks, you know, Spruce Woods, uh, William Lake, those kinds of places. And today is reservations for Birds Hill and Winnipeg Beach Campgrounds. And I'd love to know how that went for some people because we have this new system. I think I feel like it's an improvement. I found success on it a few weeks ago. It uh, depends, I guess, on the day you're trying and how you're trying because one of our listeners texted around uh, 740 to say the campground booking today was the worst experience in 20 oh, years no. of trying to book on opening day. And in Lisa's mind, the new site is, is as bad as the old site. So I'd love to know how others found it this morning because today is one of the busier days. Birds Hill is obviously hugely popular as is Winnipeg Beach and that new system has... Um, Maybe not perfect, but I think as we said a few weeks ago, is it the system or is it just the fact that there's such a demand for camping now that we just need more sites and yurts and different places to go? It sounded as though people were happy with that system. The other, you know, aside the the volume or the the availability or do we have enough resources is another conversation. But that's disheartening to hear that people are as frustrated now. Oh, we've got somebody. Just said they they found it uh, seamless. They got four bookings, right? So it might just be the moment you entered the system. Yeah, I have uh, buddies who are, they're big into camping with their families. And when he told me this years ago, it made me happy that I don't camp. Because I'm not organized enough to be a camper. He'd be he'd have the spreadsheet out of mm-hmm. all the dates and possible targets and various permutations and combinations, and he'd have to have it all ready to go when he'd sit down at that computer and inevitably he'd end up getting ten percent of what he was looking for. Plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And this year he's found it better? I'm just waiting to find out. I just okay. I just shot him a message now to see how it's going. So, because um, he's whereas I'm not organized, he completely organized. So if he says it's okay, then I don't know. But. Yeah, camping's like a relaxing thing in theory, but you have to be supremely organized to be a good camper in my mind because you're traveling in a 
moving home if you're using a camper. And even with a tent, you have to have places for everything, right? And yep. keep things in little boxes and be like, you have, you have to be an organized person. I remember we camped all across Western Canada when I was a kid, every other summer for 12 years. And I can only remember once getting to Banff and there not being a campsite for us. And my mom and dad had to spend $50 on a hotel. Mm. And my parents were horrified that they would have to spend $50 in 1980 on a hotel when we were on a camping vacation. But I can only remember having to do that once in all those years. Now it's obviously very different with booking ahead online and and people do plan uh, a great deal in advance. And you're right about being good campers. You have to be organized. I remember just going to, I didn't camp, but uh, just went out to Falcon Lake with some friends who were going to be camping. So we all got there at the same time. So I was just hanging out and watched them. It was there. It was almost like watching a SWAT team or, or like a team of Oompa Loompas or something. <laughs> it, they, they were so organized at how quickly and efficiently they got their tents up and they got their little, their portable barbecues oh, yeah. and stuff. It's and a within, process. It took like 10 to 15 minutes and they were ready to go. Oh, yeah. Systems weekend. baby. Systems. My in-laws are great campers and it's fun to go with them because they just, there's a little place for everything. And the campers these days are like, it's almost as though they were designed by Ikea because there's every there's no unused space. Like it's so efficient. Efficient. It's crazy how it is. Mm-hmm. Little, like a little spot. Like you, And you'll say, oh, we, you know what we could use? Well, we've got that. And they open it up and there's, <laughs> there they have the oil. And I, I've eaten better on camping trips with them than I do in restaurants because they just have it all set up good to go. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, that's like why that you have too. to go with people who are good. If you can't be one, find one. So, like, if you're a guest camper, yes, for example, camper. make sure you're going with people who do are seasoned. That's right. That's the world I like to live in. I like to be a guest camper and book in at a hotel in laws. I did. Now, do you ask them? Is there a Caesar stump at the site? <laughs> they know. They know I need a Caesar stump. <laughs> I don't have to ask. Come on. You should be bringing your own by now. <laughs> B-Y-O-C-S. A seasoned camper would bring your, bring your own, own Caesar, Caesar stump. stump. want to continue to discuss flooding because one week ago, flood officials in the Fargo area said they needed 100,000 sandbags to get through the flood season. And this week, they're saying that need has doubled. Yeah, a call has gone out for volunteers to help fill some 200,000 sandbags because the forecast is now showing this spring could be what they're calling a top 10 flooding event. Chad Peterson is the Cass County Commissioner in the Fargo area and joins us now. Good morning, Chad. Good morning, Canada. How are you? We're good. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Just quick question. Where is Cass County? Is that just West Fargo? So we are, yeah. So we're basically in the southeastern corner, not quite, of North Dakota. So this is where Fargo, the city of Fargo, across the rivers over in Moorhead, Clay County, so the Fargo-Moorhead metro area. Okay, so when you're talking about it being maybe a top 10 event, what does that mean for you? What's that look like? Well, it's a bit of a discomfort and, and a bit of unsureness because uh, we're not really sure where we're going to wind up in the end, but we're preparing for that. So what I said yesterday is what I continue to say this morning in that we are preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. We had so much snowpack, not only locally, but to our east and to our west, that we're not quite sure what's going to transpire. So our baseline expectation is in the mid-30s, which is in the Fargo-Mored metro area, puts us, again, to that level of discomfort in our top 10 floods. But we are ever hopeful that with the dry fall we had, with the low level of frost, we're having frost levels 
uh, freezing levels within the soil of less than two feet in some cases. In some areas, it's six inches, which is remarkable given the fact we had so little uh, snow initially and the moisture content, like I said, in the soil, the, the lack of moisture content in the soil is allowing a lot of this snow just to percolate down. So it's not even getting to the streams and rivers, but we can't be, we can't be that hopeful. Uh, we can, we again, plan for the worst, hope for the best. You also mentioned uh, the way you've stepped up preparations over the years, Chad. Uh, in Winnipeg, of course, we have the floodway, and and in Grand Forks, they have those giant uh, fences, for lack of a better terminology, yeah. along the the banks of the Red River. What has Fargo done over you know since 1997 to to flood proof itself a little bit better? I know you've had conversations about a floodway once upon a time that that's not in place. What have you done? So, yeah, wonderful question. So we've done hundreds of millions, literally, of dollars of investment in floodproofing. We've bought land. We've bought houses. Uh, we've impacted a lot of our neighbors negatively. And we are so eternally grateful for those folks that have sacrificed. But in the end, around 2026, 2027, we will have a diversion, nothing like yours. Uh, but we'll have one in place that will make this flood uh, for the urban area meaningless. And it's, it's, I can't even process this. I've been here my whole life. Uh, 50 years, and I can't even imagine not caring about a flood. Our friends in the rural area will always be impacted to some degree based on, again, snowpack and overland flooding, but the metro area, once our diversion is complete, this will be a non-event. And more importantly, if we ever get hit, I I think you guys got hit pretty bad. Uh, Luckily, you had your diversion in place, but if we have a 500-year event, the city of Fargo will be able to fight it, whereas right now, if we had a 500-year event, the city would just be gone. There'd be nothing we could do. So that diversion is coming, but in the meantime, you know, you have to get through a couple more potential seasons, Chad. And so I'm curious, when you talk about preparing for the worst, what is the possible scenario? Are you talking, you know, I know you have some of your own dikes and your own infrastructure, but are there homes that might see go underwater or have just overland flooding? What's how many homes at risk? Yeah, so in the metro area, we've got a spot in the northern portion of Fargo that's going to struggle a little bit. We might have to build sandbag levees up there. We have a portion to the south, especially when you get more to the rural area of the metro area. We'll have to do some protection down there with larger sandbags. Uh, But really, it is our rural impact. So we have lots of tributaries, a very active valley. And unfortunately, we're a glacial plain. So the water doesn't go to a, a deep ravine and then channel out. It spreads out. So we're basically a large dinner plate uh, from 30 miles east, 30 miles west. So uh, our friends in the rural areas are, are particularly hard impact, regardless of the flooding in the river, because, again, the snowpack being so deep and melting so quickly. Here we had a long, cold winter. And as it melts, our friends in the rural areas will be impacted. So regardless of our diversion, they'll probably always need some protection out in the rural area, but we're still working on that too, building levees and dikes around homes and farms and smaller towns. So someday we may not have to worry, but that's for the foreseeable future. We'll still have to repair. Our guess is 10 to 15,000 sandbags, which given we used to make 1.2, 1.4 million sandbags, coming down to 10,000 or 15,000 is, is a pretty easy lift for us. Talking flood prospects in North Dakota with Chad Peterson, the Cass County Commissioner. And in your update yesterday, Chad, you said that Fargo is really good at preparing for floods, but that residents of North Dakota and Minnesota are still really bad at asking for help. What did you mean by that? Yeah. So, uh, and this carries up to our friends in Canada. We we tend to be pretty do-it-yourselfer type folks. We're we're stick-to-itive. We're 
full of energy, but we're always reluctant at bragging about how good we are at things. And we're even more reluctant at asking for help. And my concern is we have so many new faces in this metro area. We're growing, 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 and that's not going to stop. Every year we have folks that have never seen anything like this. And if they pick up that do-it-yourself spirit, my fear has always been that they wait too long, they're too proud to ask for help, and then they find themselves getting in trouble, whether it's lack of access, meaning let's pretend oh, crossland flooding knocks out their driveway or, or their township road to the point where we can't get to them anymore and help them with sandbags. We, we need to stick our pride a little bit, little bit in our back pocket, ask for help, and make sure that we're all making it through this and we're all safe. You mentioned how much Fargo has grown over the years, Chad. You know, uh, if you haven't been there in years, uh, most of us know West Acres is sort of the, the west part of Fargo. Well, that's certainly not the case any longer. So much development to the west. But more importantly, in my mind, has been the redevelopment of downtown Fargo. And how much of that can be attributed to the work that you've done to protect that part of the city that, that, you know, people are prepared to invest millions of dollars in your downtown and, and not have it at risk, so to speak. Yeah. And I think not just the downtown, but in our area as a whole, I mean, the dialogues we've had in the past are businesses looking towards us, but then the lack of surety in terms of not only uh, their business, but their employees, right? If you lose your employees for a month because they're preparing flood protection for their home or they lose their home and have to move, these are long-term investments. This is stability. This is that permanent flood protection and investment in your community's infrastructure to make sure that businesses and citizens can keep going. Yeah, I, I think every penny we've put into this makes a world of sense. And as you said, I think it validates all those investments. Must get exhausting sometimes, Chad, to have these conversations year over year, despite all the improvements made. Yep. <laughs> so <my laughs> just, just a statement of fact I was making there on your behalf, Chad. Yeah, and my last couple of weeks have been a bit chaotic. I, I did two uh, live TV streams this morning, which, again, I, I actually, I believe it or not, I do enjoy this. I, I like talking to folks. I like getting out. I like engaging. But I sure would like to not have to talk about flooding because those folks, again, that haven't been here, they've never seen anything like this in their life. And, again, we're far more protected than we were in the past, but they're probably not used to it. They're not going to be used to seeing the trucks and the sandbags and all the activity and my struggle has been that I want to make sure those folks know that we're good at this, that we're good at protecting people from floods, and that, yes, we can worry a little bit, but let's not get carried away in terms of uh, the amount of worry we invest in this. Know that if you ask for help, we're there for you. Know that if you need help, we're there for you. Chad Peterson, Cass County Commissioner in the Fargo area, joining us live to talk flooding. Thank you very much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Glad to help. If you ever need me for anything, Canada, you let me know. All right, I'm going to call him up to Sandbag if we need it. (laughs) Three three and a half hour drive, Chad could make it in time. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably very good at it. I would imagine. Sandbags are, this is going to sound, this is the dumbest thing I've said in a while. They're so much more heavier than you prep yourself for. And I've, you know, sandbagged a few times and it's just shocking how much work that is. It's tons of work, but you know, when you set up that assembly line uh, of volunteers and workers as up trying to save a few cottages up on the, on the West side of, of Lake Manitoba. Oh gosh, this was in the, the big flood that they had out there. I guess it was in 2011 and the hours and hours and hours people put in, in order to save their property. Uh, just to bless everybody who's, who's going through that or is going to have to do that.
We're asking you about the decorations that cause a rift in your home, like throw pillows. And what does Karen, Karen uh, one of our runners up here, outline something quite unique? Karen says her story involves the whole damn house. Years ago, we lived in a side-by-side. It needed new siding, and my husband agreed that we would pay half. The nice lady we shared a common wall with loved green. Green walls, green car, green shag carpet in her house. Well, my husband let her pick the siding, thinking she would choose a neutral color. Uh Uh-uh. I came home from work to find our house was now an Ugly green siding, not just green, two tones of hideous snot green. We had to live there and then try and sell this ugly green side by side. So we ended up selling it to our daughter. My daughter still has this beautiful lady as a neighbor. Love her dearly. That's hard. The outside, it's so funny how the outside of the house can bug you as a color when you never see it. Like once you step through its doors, it's not bugging you anymore, but you'd pull up every single day annoyed. Yeah, go. You ask your neighbor across the street, what color would you like me That's to paint my house? That's what it should be, right? <laughs> because, because they've got that giant picture window. <laughs> exactly. Right? They stare at it all day long. I mean, by the time you pull into the garage or just get through the front door, however, you're you're not looking at it, but it bugs you. It's true. You can go looking as soon as you pull up at a house that you're looking at and you see the color. I don't like it. Curb appeal. Yep. What does Rad have? One of our other runners up here, Loren. 24 years ago, my wife to be was thrown a Christmas decor themed bridal shower that yielded two stove boxes of Christmas stuff for a house we didn't have yet. Fast forward 14 massive totes for Christmas upstairs outside and the basement, including three trees. It's like walking into Eaton's downtown in the eighties. No animatronics though. Thank goodness. Sounds like my mom. She just had, I think our garage was entirely full. Like uh, all of the storage space in the garage was Christmas stuff and the laundry room as well. Just, Boxes and boxes and totes and totes of Christmas stuff, and uh, yeah, it looked wonderful when it was when it was up. But the process of getting that stuff up on the walls was tough. But Don is our winner. Don says my mother had a flower garden in front of the house, yet it was me who always was weeding, fertilizing, and watering it. Guests would compliment her on the flower bed, and my hard work was never mentioned. One day, as she left for work, she told me to clean up that damn garden. No problem. Lawnmower, weed whacker, rototiller, and pitchfork cleaned it up nice. Dad thought it was hilarious. Mom didn't. But end of decorative <laughs> flower bed. Blew it up real good. Attaboy, Don. Well, it had to have been so satisfying in the moment. And then the, the fear of when she comes home and sees what you've done. Well, once he got dad's support as well, that must have given him That the, doesn't mean anything. Eh, makes a difference. It might not be everything, but it does make a difference. But there's just some things in any house that you know, no matter what the dynamic is, that that's that person's territory and you don't mess with that territory. Yeah. Well, mom got a lesson in being grateful, I suppose. That's or right. at least showing some gratitude. Yeah, pull your own damn weeds, mama. <laughs> <laughs> we just, we were, we were feeling, I was certainly feeling vengeful today, Don. So I appreciate <laughs> your quest for vengeance and achieving your quest for vengeance on your mom. Don, you win the tickets for Krista Berg's Centennial Concert all Saturday, April 29th. Part of what we do around here at 680 CJOB is we shine a light on important causes. And today we need to shine a big, bright light on this one. Yeah, Today is World Parkinson's Day and April is Parkinson's Awareness Month. Parkinson's is a lifelong, incurable brain disease and no two journeys, Loren, are alike. 
For the last few years, one of the strongest voices in the Parkinson's community has been one of our colleagues. Larry Gifford is the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment, and he is the host of the podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. There's also so many other titles and affiliations that Larry carries, and he joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So there was some big news out of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which you're a part of, that we're going to get to in a moment, Larry. But first, because this has been such a personal story for you that you've openly shared with others, you were diagnosed in 2017. How is your journey going? Well, you know, it's uh, it's going. Uh, <laughs> it is a progressive degenerative disease. So uh, you, you find yourself taking more and more medication and, and, you know, every day you wake up and it's a little bit different. Uh, trying to figure out what you're going to have to deal with that day, or is it a temporary setback, or is it a you know a forever thing you're going to have to deal with? You know, there's there's so many symptoms um, and, and uh, reactions to medications that you can have with with Parkinson's that it, it really is uh, an hour by hour, day by day journey. Larry, you're a busy guy. You mean already with your just your job within our company, you have a big important job, but you do all these other things with. Parkinson's related to Parkinson's such as your podcast so uh, in your various endeavors to help with the Parkinson's cause do you have to take steps to manage your energy and correct me if I'm wrong but I seem to re- remember you you saying when it when it first started to to happen that you found yourself tired and you didn't really understand what was happening yeah well daytime uh, sleepiness is a is a is a, is a symptom it's like it's like like instant Sleepiness. It's like suddenly you're just going along and you hit a, a brick wall and you've got to take a take a nap. Uh, and I do that every day. I take a nap midday every day. Uh, yeah, you have to you have to coordinate like big events or big outings. Like you, you really you kind of say you have like five five things you can do a day that are major events, and then and you're kind of spent. So you try to to try to save energy for the things that are important in your in your day. Larry, it's Greg Mackling here, and I'm a huge fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm and the (laughs) interactions between Larry David and Michael J. Fox during one of the seasons of Curb are incredibly entertaining, but I found them also very educational in terms, you mentioned Michael J. Fox, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the work that his foundation has done and your connection to that. How do you feel about Michael J. Fox appearing on Curb Your Enthusiasm and presenting Parkinson's in such a stark light? Oh, no, I think it's great. I think anytime we can get, you know, a spotlight on Parkinson's, it's great. It's, it's interesting. If you take a look at, uh, you know, recently, I mean, it's, Parkinson's has been sort of like a, a darling of Hollywood. I mean, you've got uh, uh, John Lithgow played a guy with Parkinson's in the movie Late Night. Harrison Ford's right now depicting a doctor um, with uh, with Parkinson's disease, and uh, it's uh, it's on the new uh, uh, show, The uh, Shrinking. And um, either absolutely, we're here, Larry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, yep. sorry. Uh, and then uh, you've got. Um, Alan Alda played Bert Spitz, a lawyer with Parkinson's disease in a film, uh, Marriage Story. Um, you know, even when Michael J. Fox was doing The Good Wife, I mean, that was great. I mean, he's it's, it's nice to see uh, all these all these. You know, there's a there's a movie uh, called The Suspect that Aiden Turner was in. Uh, he he was playing a man with Parkinson's. So you're seeing a lot more of Parkinson's on the big screen than the small screen. 
And this is really something I think probably Canadians need to pay more attention to, Larry. When we shared that number earlier this morning about more than 100,000 Canadians living with Parkinson's, but it's one of the countries that is experiencing a really high rate of prevalence. It was shocking to me. Do we understand why Canada seems to be seeing more and more people with Parkinson's? Well, you know, the, the more uh, more industrialized countries seem to have a greater uh, prevalence of Parkinson's because of um, neurotoxins, herbicides, pesticides, uh, to- toxic, uh, you know, uh, cleaning supplies. So there are some, some really nasty chemicals out there that are uh, not just, um, you know, seeping uh, into like uh, wells and whatnot, but they're coming through houses now and, uh, because they, they're getting trapped underground because they've been dumped by companies all over the North America. Uh, if you remember the movie with John Travolta called A Civil Action, uh, that was about a, 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 a chemical called PCE, which is really prevalent actually in Canada. It's uh, used for like uh, airplane part cleaning and uh, spot removers on dry cleaning. But like until like 1977, it was used to decaffeinate coffee. So that's nasty stuff. No kidding. No kidding. No, you are uh, part of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. And by the way, our guest is Larry Gifford. He is the National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and the host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's podcast. And we're joined by Larry on this World Parkinson's Day. And as part of the Michael J. Fox Foundation, you're a patient council member. Some big news yesterday with the foundation announcing that it's partnering with the Canadian Parkinson's community to expand its international study. So what's going to be happening here? Well, so, so it, this is great because the, the PPMI study, it's a foundation's landmark study. It's been around for 10 years, and now they're expanding internationally into Canada and hopefully other parts of, of, of the world. Uh, and, and what it does, teams in Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto are now part of a 50 international medical centers recruiting uh, volunteers to add to its really intensive uh, Parkinson's data set and biosample library to better define the measurement of Parkinson's disease. We have no biomarker right now. So this is really about finding that thing we can measure uh, objectively to say yes or no, you have Parkinson's. Right now, it's, it's really up to the neurologist to look at you and do some tests and go, yeah, I think you have Parkinson's. So, Larry, you mentioned the fact that everybody with Parkinson's, their journey is individual. It's different. My baby sister is 39 years old and has MS, and it's progressed uh, dramatically over the last decade for her. But also often I will hear people say, oh, MS, I know somebody who had MS and it wasn't that bad, or they managed this or managed that. Is there a similar sense from time to time in conversation, you know, when Parkinson's comes up, oh, my dad or my brother has been been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Is there an understanding that, you know, just because it impacts one person one way, it doesn't necessarily impact another person the same way? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, like most people think of tremor right away. And it's 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 certainly a very uh, a, a symptom that is, is prevalent, but not for everybody. Not everybody with Parkinson's gets a tremor. Uh, some people are diagnosed because through depression. Uh, so it, it's uh, everybody's some 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 journeys are really intense and fast moving, and other ones aren't. Uh, I think the older you're diagnosed, uh, the the slower and the less intense your on, on average your your experiences are. 
with with the early onset, it's kind of it's probably a different disease. As I talk to neurologists, uh, they, they need to do some subtyping within Parkinson's and, and and figure out how to really categorize the different types of diseases that people have because they've, they've lumped everybody under this this umbrella term of Parkinson's and Parkinsonisms, kind of like in the 1980s, it was just cancer. They didn't really have sub, as many subtypes as they do now of the types of cancer. Uh, and so if you think about Parkinson's being about, you know, I guess about 50 years behind uh, the cancer uh, folks, uh, we, hopefully in the next decade or so, we can have some subtyping, which will help make it easier to personalize the care. Talking about your journey, it's a deeply personal thing, Larry, and you you have the podcast. You're a co-founder of the Global Alliance to End Parkinson's Disease. You're on the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, which we've talked about, and you're going to go this summer to speak to the World Parkinson's Congress in Spain. I'm just curious what keeps you so vocal and wanting to reach out like that, because that's not always easy talking about something that impacts you. You know, it's, I was feeling really sorry for myself for a long time. Uh, and I heard a, a neurologist uh, on a podcast uh, who said, if people with Parkinson's don't start sharing their story, we'll never get enough awareness to raise enough money to do enough research to end this. And as a storyteller all my life and as somebody who has been broadcasting for 30 years and knows a lot of people who, who can help spread messages, I thought, if I don't share my story, I can't expect anybody else to. So for me, it's really become... Um, my my personal mission and, and you know sort of my guiding light it's it's what i'm here to do it gives you hope oh yeah and i, I find hope every day in the people i meet and the people i talk to and um you know it's it's a really it's an amazing community of people um and you know we have, we certainly like everybody we have good days and bad days but for the most part i mean the, you're just the most optimistic group of people you'll ever find Larry, before we let you go, I got to ask you this question because I see this word and immediately think superheroes, and perhaps they are the su- some of the superheroes of your community. Who are the PD Avengers? Sure, yeah, we've got sixty six hundred people in ninety three countries. We have one hundred and twenty different organizations. We are a global alliance uh, that are adding urgency to the cause of ending Parkinson's, and so we're we like today we're out there and. We're trying to get a million sit-to-stands to draw attention to Parkinson's disease. So if you go to standuptoparkinsons.com, you can learn all about that. Larry Gifford joining us live on The Start, National Director of Talk Radio for Chorus Entertainment and the host of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. You can find that podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. Larry, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And a couple of other important links as well, worldparkinsonsday.com, pdavengers.com, parkinson.ca. I just wanted to point this out as well. If you do have Apple TV+, Plus, if you want to watch that shrinking show, that's where you watch it. But coming up on May 12th, there's something called Still, a Michael J. Fox movie. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it, it, it's a film which incorporates documentary and archival and scripted elements that just showcases sort of the journey he's taken through his career, which includes his diagnosis of Parkinson's at age 29. One of the most beloved actors of our time. The Back to Future movies are timeless. He, a national hero, I think a lot of people would 100% say that he is Loren. for them. Yeah. And by the way, the day, in case you're wondering why is today... April 11th, World Parkinson's Day. Uh, The date of April 11th was chosen because it is the birthday of James Parkinson, the British physician who first described the symptoms of the disease in his essay, 
called An Essay on the Shaking Palsy back in 1817. Here we are over 100 years later, and we're still battling, as, as Larry pointed out, with the idea of labeling all Parkinson's one thing. It just goes to show you just how much, how much work there is left to be done.